Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I hear you and I've got you. Think of me as the one-stop shop for all your midlife needs. I'm a psychologist, registered dietitian, nutritionist, board-certified health and wellness coach, and mindful self-compassion teacher. I'm also an author and podcast host with over 30 years of experience empowering midlife women. Hey, welcome to Rock Your Midlife. I am thrilled that you are here. I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. If you are new, welcome to the show. So glad that you have joined us. This is a place where you learn how to get unstuck and find the energy, confidence, and clarity to make your next chapter your best chapter. And if you're returning, thank you as well. We're in such good company. We've got people in the US and Canada, India, Japan, Germany, Canada, Netherlands, Mauritius, and Costa Rica, where I am, which is all about Pura Vida. If you've been following me on Instagram, and I've been talking about it here on the show as well, I actually purchased a house in Costa Rica last week. So I am broadcasting from Costa Rica and just so enjoying my time down here and also celebrating one year of shows. I started Rock Your Midlife on March 23rd of 2022. It was a hell of a year for me. Again, if you have been following me, you will know that I was diagnosed with breast cancer in April. So that was like, breast cancer was not on my vision board, but I managed to keep doing the show. It was early stage. I'm here to say, get your mammogram, ladies, get your mammogram because it's not your mother's breast cancer. And if you detect it early, uh, the prognosis is so great. So I'm feeling awesome. Made a lot of changes. And that's why I'm super excited about the show today because we're gonna be talking about fun and possibility. And, you know, my tumor taught me a lot. I realized, and maybe this has been the way you felt, you've had a health crisis. There's a deeper meaning there. And for me, it was all about letting the workaholic go and leaning into more of what brings me joy. This has been my year of more joy and less oi. And I wonder if that's been the case for you, where you have had something happened to you and it's really transformed you and transformed the way that you uh, view the world, the way you go about things. So I have been playing a lot more and uh, working less and still being super productive and having so much fun. So get ready today to play. If you're at midlife and you've been like, oh my gosh, I've forgotten what play is, this show is for you. We are going to learn how play is amazing for you and step into possibilities because today's show is going to help you have more fun at midlife and navigate what's next. You'll discover that having fun is actually good for you. As our first guest, Dr. Mike Rucker explains, having fun isn't just for pleasure, but it's a vital component of living a fulfilling life. When we let it, fun can improve our mental well-being, boost creativity, and even increase productivity. That's what I am finding. The more fun I have, the more fully I live my life, the more I get stuff done. And it's so true. When you are having fun, you are energized, your vibe is super high, and you want to get into the fun. So you're super focused when you are working. And that's what I'm finding. I want to like finish my work up so I can go to the beach and play with my man. And we've been swimming every day. So you're going to learn all about it. And then we're going to be talking with life coach and podcaster, Wendy Green, who is going to help you discover how to navigate the midlife transformational journey with more joy and ease. And I wanted to start with one of my favorite quotes, which is uh, from George Bernard Shaw, who says, you know, you don't stop playing because you grow old. You grow old because you stop playing. 
isn't that so true? Is that what you have found where, you know, you're feeling like you're getting old, wondering life is passing you by and we need to sort of reverse that equation and say, you're running out of time and midlife is the time to play more, whether you've got grandkids or not. It is the time to look at your childhood and say, what did I love to do as a kid? For me, I'm you know playing in, in Costa Rica, learning to play ukulele, spending more time with friends, doing those things that really light me up. And I'm finding this, I started a new group. It's called the Rock Your Midlife Community. You can learn more about it on my website which is the midlifewhisper.com. I was coaching a number of women and they were struggling with this play aspect. They would start to play. And the moment they started to play, all of this guilt and anxiety started kind of bubbling to the surface of, I don't either, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to have fun. I don't feel good enough that I deserve to schedule time for self-care, for play, for that traveling that I've been thinking about. Or what also happens is, Got so much I have to do. There's the laundry, you know, there's the grandkids to watch. There's like catching up on work, all of those things. And so this anxiety comes up and a big piece that I know both my guests are going to, you know, address this, a big piece of midlife is really accepting those uncomfortable emotions. You know, so often we want to push the anxiety away. So it's like, well, I'm just going to work and not do the play because of the anxiety. But the first thing is you have to accept this is just anxiety. Anxiety is a natural part of being human. We are, as humans, and I'm sure Michael, you know, uh, chime in with this later when we, we talk to him, it's built into our DNA, fear, anxiety. And so that old part of you, that old workaholic, which is, you know, what I really had to break, is going to say, you should be working. You, sh- you don't deserve this. You need to put everybody else first. And so when we start to question that, the anxiety is trying to keep us safe. So we might procrastinate, um, we might really lose our momentum. And so you have to accept it, allow the emotion to be there. Uh, working out is a great way to let that emotion, you know, it's, it's name it, you tame it. This is anxiety, hello, anxiety, hello, fear. Feel it, you heal it. And then just allowing it to come and go and embracing where you are at. Just like the caterpillar has no idea what the butterfly is and it's gonna resist that transformation. The old you is going to resist what's next for you. So as we step into change, as we step into transformation, as we step into more fun, more play, more possibilities, as we were like, I got to get out of this box. And again, we talked about this in my coaching session in my community. If you need help, check it out because I coached uh, coached four people. There was a group of about a dozen of us. Everybody gained so much information when they could see that, oh my goodness, I don't feel like I deserve this. I don't feel like I'm enough or I'm in this box because that's all I know. So when I look for a new job, I'm just not thinking outside the box of all of the possibilities. And midlife is the time to play more and lean into possibilities. So let's get into it with our guests because I know that they're going to have so much wisdom to share. And you might want to grab some paper if you aren't driving and write some of this down because uh, it's going to be a really powerful show. So here to help us is Dr. Mike Rucker. He is an organizational psychologist, behavioral scientist, and charter member of the International Positive Psychology Association. And this is so interesting because psychology used to be so much about what's wrong with you, and now we're really leaning into what's right and how we can live a more fulfilling life. His ideas about fun and health have been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, Fast Company, Psychology Today, Forbes, Vox, 
Thrive Global, Mindful Body, Mind Body Green, and more. He currently serves as a senior leader at Active Wellness and is the author of the best-selling book, The Fun Habit, which I've started reading. It is tremendous. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Dr. Mike. So awesome to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for this tremendous book. I started reading it and I was just so um, floored by your dilemma of here, you're this researcher. I'm a <laughs> self-compassion researcher. So I'm like, you know, we can always lean into self-compassion when there's suffering, but you're a fun researcher. And here <laughs> during COVID, you got COVID yourself and you had a rebound illness from it. And you were like, I've lost play right? I'm not having any fun. How, tell us a little bit about your story and how you were able to turn that around. Yeah. I think, you know, the story really is happened before COVID. I think being a researcher of positive psychology for quite some time, I had really used a lot of those tools for betterment um, effectively. And so I had created this life that was um, pretty nice for myself. But ultimately, I had gone overboard and really had, you know, created this life of introspection and an exercise of constantly evaluating things. And when I got knocked on my butt, like all of us tend to do, you know, eventually, um, then I had this really high bar that I set for myself, which became quite problematic. And that was what really focused my research on this idea of how happiness as a construct in psychology, you know, we call it subjective well-being and quantify it. Um, has become a problem and is, you know, is one of the reasons that a lot of us do feel that guilt, right? We get stuck in, you know, comparison and worrying about, you know, the curated lives of others and how we compare against them instead of really just living in the moment and trying to understand what are the things that we really do find enjoyable. And so, yeah, I had kind of battle tested some of these ideas, you know, um, initially in 2016, but unfortunately, as I was really coalescing all of the science together, I got to battle test it again during COVID when, you know, arguably probably the least fun any of us were having, you know, in our era. And um, yeah, I found that, you know, when our autonomy is taken away from us, how do we flex our agency and, and understand that we do generally have more power, even in the darkest of times, to create moments of joy and how restorative that can be when we are able to do that. Yeah, well, let's start off by talking. It is so true that we can deliberately create more joy, more fun, more happiness. But I want to start off just to sort of lay some groundwork. What's the difference between happiness and fun? Yeah, so in related to what I just said, I think, especially here in the West, we really look at happiness as an exercise in evaluation, right? When we talk about are we happy, it really requires us to look in the rearview mirror, to ruminate on things that are missing. And when that becomes habitual, it can bleed into our identity in a very insidious way so that not only are we you know, in this loop of going, well, I'm not as happy as I wanna be, slowly but surely, and you know, this is backed up by empirical research. I really like the research in this area from Dr. Iris Mouse at a University of California, Berkeley, but it's it's been replicated. We get in this, um, loop of introspection that really bleeds into our identity. Um, and we start to identify as an unhappy person, even if we wouldn't share that with people, right? So we start to look for evidence that supports that. And it's really cognitive behavioral therapy in reverse, right? We start to, you know, get these um, 
these pieces of evidence that suggest to us we're not happy and then we start to become unhappy and that's what's happened to a lot of us in the west we can you know and all over but there are headwinds in the west that make it particularly problematic um and so when we live life more deliberately when you see folks that are really able to engage fun in a very mindful way and are deliberate about how they schedule it whether that's transition rituals from work to leisure, whether that's just sort of an inherent ability to see the joy in the things that they're doing, or folks that are really deliberate about how they organize their time and work. So even if they have a life that's not necessarily, um, you know, the quote unquote, I get to do things, but I have to do, like I work a lot with physicians, right? And they don't have a ton of autonomy over how they schedule their patients and the things that they need to do. But they certainly do have more agency than a lot of them believe on how they they can go about that work if they approach it, you know, in a very deliberate fashion. Once you understand that you can reframe things and take control back and and approach them in a way that is joyful, but hopefully you're also doing things outside of work that are also restorative in a very joyful way, it becomes this upward spiral where not only are you really enjoying the things that you're doing, but it also makes you realize as part of your identity, wow, I can live a fun life because I'm doing that deliberately. Yeah, that's a great point because I, I find that I can approach things intentionally and say, this is fun, like this podcast. I can say, this is going to be really fun. I'm going to meet two cool people. We're going to have a great conversation. Or I can say, oh my God, I have to like get on the air. And, it, you know, it's there is that mindset of you can have about looking at the things you have to do or do you find also that you can make things more fun? Like for me, I love cooking, but if I, you know, put some music on, if I'm in the partner with my kid, with my kids, or my, um, I'm in the kitchen with my partner and my kids, you're chopping away, playing music. It's so much more fun than if I have this attitude of, oh my God, I have to cook dinner again. So I do find that you can take kind of the, the daily tasks you have to do and find ways to make them more fun. And that's a great example. One that I often use. So I'll, I'll just piggyback off of it, right? Like, you get someone that, oh, I just don't want to have to make dinner for my family again. Well, if you have kids, why don't you orchestrate that into something, you know, there's access for recipes and learning how to cook on YouTube in nauseam, right? So like, instead of you taking, you know, that on yourself, why not turn it into this amazing, like learning experience with your child? Know that it's going to take an extra 30 minutes to clean up, but forgive yourself up front so that it's not like, Oh, now not only did, did I make dinner, but I have to clean up, but turn it into this really enjoyable experience. And again, that act of mindfulness, like, wait, this isn't me having to make dinner. This is a really amazing 90 minutes I'm going to have with someone that I love. And then also, you know, through mirror neurons, like see the joy that you're eliciting into people that aren't normally invited into this, what can be a really joyful experience. That's a, you know, an amazing example of how someone that had kind of looked at this habitual activity, right, having to serve dinner to others, and you can just reframe it through a couple of deliberate acts into this thing that really becomes something that you look forward to. Now, granted, someone might hear that and go, that is not going to work for me. Of course, it, you know, it's not going to work for some, but you can find things in your life that it will. Um, one thing I want to bring up, because it's a really nice invitation for, I think, your audience in particular, too, you know, as I've already kind of villainized this Western approach, I think at midlife, we're in this really interesting time where because we've lived in a meritocracy the first half of our life, right? We do need to do things to live in this consensus reality of going to college and getting good grades and getting that good job and appeasing a boss so that you feel some level of comfort when you reach middle age, right? But 
then there's sort of this second mountain that we really can celebrate because we've gotten to where we are now. Like there is some comfort in the fact that if you create a baseline that's fairly comfortable, like what happens if you never get another promotion? Is your life going to fall apart? I think for a majority of folks that have a level of psychological safety, once you can sort of get yourself out of that, you know, social normative script of like, well, I, but I need the next carrot. Do you really? Or can we start to take a little bit of time off the table for yourself so that you can look at that second mountain, you know, instead of sort of living your life for what your boss might want, because that was the rules of the game, you know, in the first half, think about what you want in the second half, look at that second mountain and start to engineer it in a way that again, is from a place of psychological safety, but realizing you have a lot more agency and autonomy than you believed yourself to have, if you're willing to sort of cement the goalpost and not let, you know, the external world move it for you. That's a great point. I had a woman I was coaching in my Rocky Midlife community the other day, very super uber accomplished, very prominent position, but exhausted, burnt out, wanting to change. And she was staying in her box if I have to stay at this level or I have to like reach the next level. I can't like do something horizontal. And I said to her, what would it look like if you did what you loved and you looked at downsizing your career? And that's something that, you know, my breast cancer really taught me is we're running out of time. And I think that's something we realize at midlife is that, you know, you realize that there is less time probably in front of you than behind you. And then you get intentional about, like you said, rejiggering your career and realizing I, maybe I, I want a different career. I actually had another client and, you know, she's working at Chipotle. She retired and she's loving it just 20 hours a week. She just likes to get in there. She likes to chop. It's good exercise. She likes the social interaction. You know, she's probably making, I don't know what, 15 bucks an hour, but it's fun. I'm curious, why do we have this barrier? You study fun. So I'm curious, what, why is it so hard for so many people, particularly midlife, like kids, they know how to have fun. They know how to play. It's like, we're born. You don't have to tell a kid, like, go have fun, go play. You're just like, go out and play. Why yeah. as adults do we have so much trouble? <laughs> go out and so, play and have some fun. I've gotten better at this because the thing is that you could have a whole lecture on it, right? Because there's multiple headwinds and not all of, you know, similar to problems like obesity, like, is it plate size? Is it urban design, right? It's likely all of them. And some people are going to have issues, you know, that, that have that particular challenge. The same goes with, you know, our struggles to have fun, right? Is it the Protestant work ethic still at play? A lot of us were raised, you know, that the idea that productivity is somehow tied to our self-worth, even when we're doing amazing things. There's the knowledge work doesn't really have goalposts, right? When we lived in a more algorithmic world, we knew when our day was done. And so our parents did have real transition rituals like, okay, I'll just leave my briefcase at the office because, you know, we didn't have laptops and things of that nature. Also the electronic age, right? Like even though things like Slack and Gmail um, can be shut off, they were built just like Facebook and Instagram. Those notifications, especially if you like what you're doing, are intoxicating, right? Like, oh, well, let me see what this email is about. Well, your brain hasn't spun down at that point. You kind of alluded to it at the beginning. You know, um, I'm not a neuroscientist, but it's clear that the amygdala is in play, right? I think I've talked to, you know, folks a lot smarter than me. And I think to call this fight or flight all the time is a little overstating. It's an oversimplification, but it's clear that having fun and enjoying your leisure allows us to reduce that cognitive load 
that's as important as sleep. And that's like the main takeaway, right? The same way that we championed sleep deprivation in the 90s, you know, for those that succumbed to hustle culture and that were A-type and were like, okay, well, I want to be an entrepreneur. So that starts when my kids go to bed and like, you know, the Gary Vaynerchuks of the world, right? Like I, you know, it, it, to show myself worth, it means I'm going to grind it out from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. You don't hear anybody talking about that. I mean, even Gary Vee has a chief happiness officer and has totally rolled that back because we know from science, it's a very asinine thing to recommend to anybody because they're going to fall off a cliff really quickly. The same now we're finding in science with leisure for folks that don't take at least a little bit of time off the table to stop worrying about all of the daily stressors, especially because we have more information coming at us than ever before. They have the same uh, problems with uh, burnout and not feeling invigorated. And at the end of the day, you know, you're seeing the same sort of burnout path as you did with folks that succumb to sleep deprivation. So I call it fun starved, right? The ones that aren't enjoying their lives and paradoxically are the ones that ultimately aren't productive you know, come down the line. Again, you know, my focus of academic studies physicians, this is the worst year for them with 60, sorry, 63% of them, you know, claiming to be so burnt out that they don't even want to go to work. That's a real problem. And that's only one vocation, right? You're seeing these numbers across the board. Yeah, so it's really true. I mean, if you don't, for those of you who are listening, the amygdala is our, it's in the back of the brain. It's our lizard brain. It's the fight, flight, or freeze part of us. And what happens Particularly if you're in midlife, you know, you get this, the stress, the cortisol levels rise, and that's causes all of this weight gain around the middle, which is something midlife women are struggling with. And it's, it is um, inflammation and inflammation is at the basis of every single, you know, chronic disease that's out there, heart disease, cancer, probably Alzheimer's, everything. So you're saying that we need this reset. We need, just like we need to sleep, we need to take time off so we can rest, so we can just digest so we can enjoy our lives. I don't think there's anybody who gets it in their life and like, gosh, I wish I had worked more. Uh, you know, when you ask people towards the end of their life, what are their biggest regrets? It's never, I wish I had worked more. It's always, I wish I'd spent more time with kids. I wish I had done those things. That's why I was so happy to just go to Costa Rica and play and have fun because it's, uh, it, it, there is that part of you comes up. So um, Michael, what do we do about, you know, that anxiety that comes up, that part of us that says, you can't have fun, you can't play. And how do we actually develop a fun habit where fun is as important a part of our day as eating right, as sleeping, as movement? Yeah, so the first is education, right? I would suggest anybody, well, in, in layman's terms, we know this comes from the hedonic flexibility principle that similar to sleep, once you sort of understand that taking some time off of the table for yourself allows you paradoxically to be more productive. So if you're coming from that place of a sense of duty, just knowing that if you try this for three to four weeks, ironically, you're actually gonna get more done. But there's another part about the amygdala that when it's always activated, right? Because we are in this fight mode, we really think in a linear fashion, right? We have to go with the things that are sort of top of mind. And so we can't think creatively, you know, and we tend to use heuristics because again, we don't have time to think, right? So folks that are able to integrate fun back into their life are the ones that are able to be more creative. So in this big study from Harvard, MIT, and Stanford, looking at the hedonic flexibility principle, the folks that were having were the ones not only that were more creative, but they sought out bigger challenges. So ironically, they were having more fun, but then they were actually doing harder stuff than the folks that were burnt out. 
So to answer your question, one of the first steps is really to, you know, back out of those social norms, those mental scripts that we have and realize like, okay, I am uncomfortable in this moment because, you know, I sort of conditioned myself to not feel good when I'm spun down, but it's likely going to contribute to my betterment. And so you're going to start to feel pleasure and that's going to be weird, right? And you're, you know, in pleasure, I mean, just enjoying it, right? Pleasure, you know, again, there are all these weird headwinds, like hedonism as an ethical principle, right? Like, am I going to fall victim to this weird set of ethics? No, we just call hedonic tone that because we're all, you know, science geeks. And no, it just means that you're enjoyed, you're enjoying and attracted to the things that you're doing and they're invigorating rather than depleting. So adding those back into your life, the initial step is if you do feel this discomfort, ask yourself why, allow yourself to settle in. Similar to folks that pick up meditation, right? I definitely have an overactive monkey brain. I'm always drinking caffeine. So like, you know, when I first started meditating, it took a few times to sort of get comfortable with it. The same goes with, you know, letting your hair down and sort of enjoying things, but check in with yourself week after week. It usually takes about three to four weeks. Again, the problem is it's a, it's a lagging indicator, right? So the first couple of weeks, you know, the novelty, or maybe if you pick up an old hobby, you're kind of, you know, for me, it was the guitar, you know, I wasn't great at it because I had put it down for so long. So those first couple of weeks weren't that fun, right? Like, oh my gosh, and you know, it's so out of it. But like by the fourth week, you're going to, you know, once you get back into it, and you realize that you're enjoying your time, check in with yourself when you actually are back in that mode of work or productivity. And you'll see that, you know, nine times out of 10, you're actually a much better version of yourself. And then also look at once you start enjoying things again, and again, I'm not going to prescribe to you what is fun because it's, you know, based on your arousal preference and, you know, whatever um, your social conditioning. But once you start adding those things that you do find fun, also look at how contagious it is to the folks around you, because slowly but surely you'll start to see a lot more smiles in your household. If you're a leader, you'll see your team going, wow, what's happening here? Because it's very infectious. And again, it takes time. So you got to do it you know, you got to give it at least a month. But once you start to do things outside of the sense of duty, you know, that you're actually enjoying, or even within the sense of duty, you'll start to be a better version of yourself and it and will become infectious. Yeah, I love that. It's something that I tell clients all the time is first of all, to say, I get to do this, whether it's yoga, practicing guitar, going, you know, doing things at work, I get to do this. I want to be here. That sort of intentionality I think it's so important to, to schedule it. Like I have sort of said as a schedule for myself an hour every day, I do something that's kind of fun, whether that's reading a book, playing my ukulele, studying Spanish, hanging out with my partner or friends, going dancing, all kinds of things, but you have to be intentional and put it in your schedule and make it as important as work and other things. I love that idea of making it infectious. Um, I always <laughs> tell people too, if you've got grandkids or if you can volunteer with kids, kids and fur babies know how to play, especially dogs. They know what to do. They know how to play. But I'm curious, what do you tell somebody when they say, I don't know what's fun anymore. I don't know how to play. Like how yeah. do you tell somebody who has no idea where to start? So I invite them to be curious. Generally, a little bit of premeditation is the hardest part, right? Because it's the only intervention in the book or that, you know, that I would uh, give someone that like inherently isn't that fun, right? Kind of sit down and, and think about what you want. Um, you know, if you have a big list, great. You'll want to get it down to about 12 ideas because we know, you know, if you're kind of overwhelmed by choice and you won't take any action. If you only have two or three things on your list, that's okay. Like try one. If you have none, do you have any fun friends and can you invite yourself along 
you know, so that you kind of get a taste of, of what they're doing. And generally that can inspire your own ideas, but you hit the nail on the head with like really tactical, um, you know, pieces of advice. One, figure out what that transition ritual is. If you never know when your workday is done, even if it has to be 7.30 PM, you know, because you feel like that indebted to whatever you're doing, just make sure you have that cognitive break so that you're creating that space in your schedule where you're like, this is mine, right? The other is then get it on your schedule because our schedules, because they've been work tools for so long, that normative behavior means that we will actually do it. So make sure you schedule it once you get it off that premeditated list. So you actually do it, right? And again, give it two to three weeks so that you actually feel the impact of that, you know, the new activity that you're doing for fun. Lastly, if you're really stuck, reach out to a friend and say, you put something on my schedule because you don't want to let people down, right? And so once it's there, you'll actually do it. And again, as simple as it sounds, it's so invigorating. Again, for folks that need the science, look up the hedonic flexibility principle. And, you know, once you get in that mode, you know, then you'll start to see like how much it lifts you up. And again, it becomes restorative. You know, all of these negative loops are a downward spiral. And that's why so many of us feel just worn to a nub, right? And once you integrate this back in, it's just this magical thing that becomes an upward spiral. And then you'll figure out your equilibrium, right? Obviously, we're not prescribing a life of whimsy and escapism either, right? You'll go, okay, now I have fun back in my life. And again, the people that are able to do that deliberately don't want their fun cup overflowing. They go, okay, I feel great about this. Let's go figure, let's find the next mountain to climb. You know, let's, let's now, we now have our energy back. Let's dig our teeth into something that's really meaningful. Yeah, powerful tips. So you've got to schedule it. You don't know what to do. Grab a fun friend and get curious. I always tell people, think about what did you love to do as a kid? Also, it's great to look at things like Eventbrite, different activities in your area. There's always there's always things going on. So we are going to take a break. It's been such a joy talking with you, Dr. Rucker, about fun. When we come back, we are going to talk to Wendy Green, and she is going to really help us to lean into what is possible to get out of that box, whether it is playing more or finding a new career or finding what's next in midlife. She's an expert in that. So stay tuned. We'll take a little break and we'll catch you on the other side. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Rock Your Midlife. I am so happy that you are here. Hey, if you're enjoying this show, please leave me a review on your favorite podcast platform. It enables more people to find out about the show. And if you are interested in my new community, check it out. It's at themidlifewhisper.com. That's themidlifewhisper.com. Just click on community. You can get live coaching for me to really help you through whatever block you are experiencing. So we're going to switch gears a little bit. I want to introduce our next guest. She is Wendy Green. She is host of the inspiring live show and podcast, Hey Boomer. Wendy is a seasoned life coach who is serving an important inspirational role for people between 55 and 75 who are looking for ways to live a more meaningful, fulfilling lives. Her goal is to help people see that they are never too old to set another goal or dream a new dream. And wherever you are at in the transformation, Wendy is going to help you step into possibilities because this midlife caterpillar and butterfly thing is challenging. I know I have been through it, but I'm here to say you can come out the other side, your wings start to dry, you start to fly, and it is absolutely awesome. So welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Wendy. So awesome to have you here today. Thank you, Dr. Ellen. I'm excited to be here. And I know you've got a question for uh, Dr. Mike before we move on and talk about possibilities. So why don't you share? 
what you want. Well, to yeah, I was curious because you were talking about all these ways to have fun and you mentioned guitar. What, what else do you do for fun in yourself and your life? So I've really been trying to lean in with my kids. I like, you know, I like using quantitative frames. We kind of alluded to it, uh, you know, in the first half hour. So I literally have like a life countdown clock because I do think, you know, it's a reminder of, you know, the, the finality of time. And so, uh, you know, this isn't mine, but the whole 18 summers with your kids. So I've been really, you know, again, uh, taking my own medicine, doing uh, cooking classes with my daughter, um, playing basketball with my son. So I've really tried to co-create these experiences with them. Um, so that one, they remember me, but that too, you know, I don't waste the 18 years that I have with them before they go off and forgot about your old dad. <laughs> <laughs> they won't forget. <laughs> no, I love that. That is, it's such a great way to do, like you said, to have that extra motivation of connecting with your kids and having fun yourself. And you have children naturally know how to play. So my kids are, my kids are playful. So uh, it is, a, a they, they keep, keep staying playful. Uh, as they get older, thank it's you. For a that. That's great. Yeah, it's a version of inviting your fun friend, right? Like they right. are my funnest <laughs> friends. Right. So. Yeah, that <laughs> is also proxies. my goodness. I have a border collie, and uh, she is so much fun. She is everything. <laughs> everything is play for her. Anything, you know, a broom, a squirrel. It is all play. So I think we can learn so much from our kids and our pets. So let's uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about you know possibilities because this. Uh, Midlife is really, really challenging. I don't know if you found this, um, Wendy, but I find that my clients and the people I'm working with in my Rock Your Midlife community all put themselves in boxes, right? And so when they're looking at possibility, all they see is the box. They don't see what's possible outside. So I'm really excited to, to see your take on all that. But before we get into it, let's, tell, let's uh, share a little bit about some of the transformations that you have gone through, because I know that's, we're always <sighs> teaching what we're learning, right? So what, tell me about some of your own transformations. Yeah, no, I've been through a lot of transformations. I, I got married very young and didn't have a college degree. And after my divorce at 28, I went back to school and got a degree in computer science. And so I worked in the technology industry most of my life, but it was very evident that programming was not my thing. So I moved into the training and development arena, doing first technical training, and then got um, certified as a change leader out of Georgetown, got certified as a life coach, and started doing more um, professional development kinds of training, how to give a good presentation, how to give a good performance review, new, new hire orientation, that kind of thing. And, and it's just been a great um, awareness that, you know, you can constantly be recreating yourself. And then of course, when the pandemic hit and everything shut down, I'd never done a podcast like, oof. and I was like, I have to do this. You know, I have to tell other people, you can still be meaningful. You can still make a difference. Let's do this. So I just figured it out. Yeah. Good for you. And I'm, I love, we're both doing the same kind of thing. All of us yeah. are really reinventing midlife and it's starting to change. I was so thrilled watching the Oscars that there was mm -hmm. a wine commercial with people our age. I was like <laughs> right on the media, certainly catching up and saying, 
midlife people have money and we want people our own age. We matter and, and we have so much wisdom and even a lot of industry corporations are seeing that they want to have wiser, older people in the workforce. So I love that you're getting the word out about how awesome midlife and beyond can be. So what excites you about what you're doing now? Oh my gosh. I mean, but from the podcast side, you know, talking to people that I would never have met otherwise, you know, I, I meet people from all over the world through this medium. It's just, that's in itself is so amazing. And then when I see people go through those transformations, like you said, Ellen, they get in this box, you know, I've been an accountant or an engineer all my life. And, you know, what else am I going to do? What else can I be? And once they start to open the doors a little bit and start to see what else and what they used to love, like Mike said, you know, what did you love doing when you were a kid? And they, they think, well, can I really do that now? And you're like, yeah, yeah, you can. And, and, and to see the, the butterfly, to see the transformation that happens in them and they, they get so much energy from that. I love that. Yeah, I get I off so. those calls. I mean, you probably do too. I'm sorry. I get off those calls and I'm like, oh my God, that was so great. You know, I loved what just happened. Yeah. I've had people to do things like um, start doing a triathlon, training, traveling, you know, changing their career completely, working for organizations, nonprofits that really light them up. But it is exciting. So what are the challenges that people face, whether they're going into retirement or they're changing careers? What have you found are the challenges that people face when they are doing the midlife transformation, transition dance, and they're really leaning into possibility? What, what gets them stuck? What are the roadblocks? I think the biggest challenge is all of those shoulds that we bring with us. You know, I should be responsible for this. I should continue to make this much money. I should you know, live in this kind of a house, I should not move that far away to Costa Rica, you know, all of those shoulds that get up in our brain. Those are the things that I find get in the way the most. And, and learning to say, but I matter. You know, it's okay. I don't have to live up to those shoulds anymore. What I have to live up to is what I mean for myself. And, and how can I express that out into the world? I, you know, getting that shift is amazing, Yeah, but it's not easy. It's not easy. I found that, and, and the thing that I teach that is so powerful, if you're listening, is make self-compassion your superpower. When you learn to befriend yourself, when you learn to say, um, I love myself enough to do this thing. And I, I need to play more and do these things because I'm stressed and struggling right now. I'm feeling burnt out. And you feel worthy that you are enough. When you start to treat yourself like a good friend, you start to feel worthy. Because I find the biggest challenge um, is when people are feeling like they're not good and they're not worthy enough. I'm not going to go and do all these wonderful things because I do find that too. People just, they don't value themselves. They don't have... Um, a sense of self-worth and that keeps them from manifesting and moving forward with their dreams and possibilities. Mm. I, you know, I, I hate to stereotype here, but I do find that more in women than in men. I think that we tend to judge ourselves more harshly and we have always been the caretakers and we have always been, you know, living up to everybody else's expectations and then to let ourselves say, but 
I, I'm, I can come first. I'm worthy. I think that's a lot harder for my women clients. The men seem to be more comfortable with that, you know, like everybody took care of them anyway. So yeah. <laughs> just kind of expecting that's what it's supposed to be. At least that's been my experience. Yeah, I do. I don't work with men, but I, I could see the difference uh, of that. But that's, that's an interesting comparison. So we all want to talk a little bit about aging. So, you know, aging does have its challenges. We slow down, we might be facing some kind of illness or health crisis. What are some of the changes around aging that you're facing and maybe your clients are facing and how do you look at them? Well, yeah, that's a good one. I'll be 70 this year. And um, when I first real, you know, 69 was the hard birthday for me because I knew, wow, I'm coming up on 70. <laughs> um, and I have more aches and pains and I can't, you know, do some of the hiking that I used to do. Um, I've been in a lot of pain lately and I'm seeing an acupuncturist now for that. But I think it's, it's the acceptance. You mentioned that at the very beginning of the show, you know, getting to this place where we can accept where we are now and say, okay, but that doesn't mean I'm done, right? So I have a few more aches and pains, but I still love to go out in nature. I still love to go, you know, out in the water. And so you accept that maybe you can't do it like you did when you were 25, but that doesn't mean you stop because like you said, you know, you stop having fun because you get old because you stop having fun, right? You don't stop having fun. Yeah. yeah and you look amazing for 70. And I would say oh, if, you're, you. if you're listening and you're, you're struggling with aging, a couple, you know, things to share with you. First of all, Whole foods, anti-inflammatory diet, um, and the research on eating more plants, less processed foods. If you can keep the inflammation at bay, it has a big part in terms of pain management. Um, there's interesting things about intermittent fasting and infl inflammation as well. Staying active is super important. Finding movement that feels really good for you. And then I like to bring in the self-compassion piece of first being kind to yourself and your body rather than judgmental. Like, um, thank you body for keeping me alive, right? 32 trillion cells, here I am. I'm like, my parents are 91 and 92 and they're still standing, you know, like, wow. There's, if you are breathing, there's more going right with your body than not. Bringing in the common humanity element of self-compassion, which is aging is normal. We get to age. You know, if you're aging, it means that you are living and this is normal. Right. Nothing's gone wrong. The aches and pains are just, you're living, you're using your body, things get worn out and you're, you know, doing the best that you can. And then that mindfulness of rather than saying, you know, this shouldn't be happening or just like, uh, you know, suck it up. Like I, when I see people who are older and they're, they're running and they're clearly in pain, I want to stop and say, why don't you walk? Like, why right, are you doing exactly. the same movement that you did? Like I don't do, when I was in my forties, I was a personal fitness trainer. I was working out four to six hours a day, you know, doing crazy, crazy things. And now it's, you know, it's swimming, it's biking, it's walking a little bit of strength training, a little bit of yoga and having fun with it. But what do you need? What does your body need? And I love that you're, you know, doing acupuncture, getting alternative health. So I love that, but just, it's normal, you know, and we, we yeah. have to grow with it. At, you know, and I, and I have a community too. We call it the boomer banter. And last night we bantered about humor and fun and laughter, which ties in really well. And, and part of my research on that, we found out that laughter also helps modify pain because the more you can laugh, you're, you're breathing in more oxygen, you're releasing those endorphins and the pain levels go down. And so, you know, I'm going to start including more of that into my coaching as well. Like, 
find ways to make yourself laugh. I have silly little signs all around my house <laughs> that I look at and I'm like, that's right. I can smile about that or I can feel proud about that. And, you know, I think those kinds of things are important too. Yeah, I love watching video. I like silly cat videos or baby videos or, you know, all of those kinds of things. It's, it's, there's so much out there that we can enjoy and have fun with. So talk to me about stepping into possibility. What do you mean by that? And how, how do we do? We've talked a little bit about it, but how, when you're working with somebody and they're just sort of starting out, how do you help them step into possibility? Yeah, so I have a six-week process that we go through. And we, we start out by just starting to understand how they perceive themselves. You know, what are the roles that they did play? What role do they think they're playing now? What roles do they want to play? What's the legacy they want to leave? But a lot of the work, Ellen, is writing their life story. And I give them lots of different prompts about that. And so they go back and they start to look for wh where their life was the happiest or where they felt the most fulfilled, um, where they found their passion. And then we start to bring those stories back into the present. And now how do we implement those and make those part of what the new reality is going to be in your life. And that's where the possibilities start to open up. But I also stress to them that there is this, I use this book transitions, there's a, a neutral zone in there. You know, we have been taught in our life that you lose a job, boy, you better get on those job boards, you better start networking, find that next thing right away, right? No, this is your opportunity to slow down. And just kind of let all of these new ideas come in and germinate and nurture them a little bit. Stick your toe in the water. You know, does that feel right? Maybe. Maybe there's another place where you want to stick your toe in the water and try that. So take it slow. Don't feel like you have to make this transition happen just overnight. This is a process that's going to define the next 20, 30 years of your life. You know, so I love that neutral zone, that transition time of trying things on until you find what feels right. Yeah, I love that. And I tell my clients too: prototype, try something, volunteer or, you know, follow somebody in, in the workforce that you've just been interested in. Maybe you want to, you know, go to the fire department. Maybe you don't want to be a fireman, but maybe you want to like make the meals or hang out, you know, whatever it is you want to do to just check it out, prototype get curious um, there in, and know that there are an infinite number of things that you can do. And as you were saying earlier, that um, it's not too late. That's you can right. always change and do different things. Um, so those are absolutely amazing ideas. I love the idea that you were incorporating stories, right? Because we can decide and I had, a, had someone on a, a couple months ago talking about stories in our health. So we can decide what we want our story to be. You know, like I can look mm -hmm. at my story of, I went through a real difficult transformational process through divorce and stacking up with rebound guy. And I was, uh, I was a bit of a hot mess and I can be like, all right, well, you know, that was my chrysalis. And it's like, it got me to where I am now. And then thinking about, okay, how am I interpreting my future? What's the story I have for myself? Am I looking that it's all downhill? Am I looking that, you know, what as, as uh, Dr. Mike was saying, am I, am I getting to that next plateau? What is that next thing that I want to be doing? And also, how do I get comfortable with this idea of, I don't, you know, need to be hustling and making the same amount of money. You know, I, a lot of times I'll tell people, visit a financial planner and just see, okay, so if I have X amount of money for the rest of my life, I love the book, I don't know if you read it, um, I think it's called Die With Zero. 
this idea that yes. you know, we take a look at like how I don't need to to die with a bunch of money, but how am I giving it to my, you know, my kids and my family now spending time with them, helping them in their journey and enjoying my own life, but really taking a look at like, what is the story that you want to create for yourself? Like I've created this whole story of my life here in Costa Rica with my fiance, Kenny, and it's, and it's lovely with lots of other, and I think that's another piece too, is surround yourself. That was what Dr. Mike was saying, surround yourself with cool people who are energized yes. here where I am. There's a club down the street and there are people in their you know, 60s and 70s who are rocking out. I mean, drumming <laughs> like they're, you know, 25 years old. They're rock stars. There's a, like a nine piece band that plays every Friday night and they're all our age. And it's and we're all That's dancing awesome. and we're having That's a so great fun. time. And it is it is it is totally, totally awesome. So um, let's talk a little bit, though, too, about loss, because I think that's a lot mm -hmm. of what I see with people that I work with. I'm in my Rock Your Midlife community and my clients is um, there's this forgiveness piece and there's this loss like, you know, uh, I made so many mistakes and I didn't get to where I, you know, it's too late for me. These things I wanted to do in my life. It's not like when we're 20 where we feel like the sky's the limit. We can do any, everything and everything. There are some restrictions. How do you deal with loss after retirement or after this transformation? How does it affect us? Mm, that's a great question, because loss is a part of life, right? We we lose our jobs, we lose our pets, we lose our families. Um, it is a part of life, and when you're dealing with loss of from regrets, that can really stop you in your tracks. And um, I think it does take. You know, I always encourage people to journal as well. Um, to dig into what are those feelings behind that? Why, why the regret? Like what, it, what is that serving? Kind of the cognitive behavioral, you know, how is that serving you? And what will it take to switch that around to say, okay, forgive yourself. You don't, you don't need to hang on to that. I mean, it's not serving you. So uh, part of it is accepting loss as part of life. And part of it is questioning how holding on to that loss is serving you. I mean, you, you're the psychologist. You probably have a better answer to that. Yeah. Well, the forgiveness piece is huge. And I think there's all of this. I, I love the book, The Big Leap. I don't know if you've read it, but it's a wonderful book about how we have a happiness ceiling. And when we reach that ceiling, we sabotage ourselves. So it comes in and we might, you know, stay in this place of regret, beating ourselves up not feeling worthy of moving on. And, and again, there's this piece is, you know, uh, of the, the we're comfortably uncomfortable. We know what it's like to stay in this stuck place. And if we, you know, forgive ourselves, if we are like, well, let that regret go because I only have now. And what, is, what do I want to do moving forward? We only have the, you know, the present moment. The present. And what am I going to do to maximize that? So, so great, great idea. So we only have a couple of moments left. Um, uh, Dr. Mike, I'd love for you to ask Wendy a question. So again, because I've studied all of the sort of empirical motivation to get people over the hump, since you've worked so much with folks that are kind of quote unquote stuck, how, what are some useful ways to get people to give their, themselves permission to sort of play and have fun? Cause that's where, you know, I can, you know, pontificate on all the benefits, you know, but being a behavioral scientist at heart, we know that unfortunately 
disseminating information isn't very motivational. You can give people all the motivation they want about fitness and well-being and, you know, they don't take action. So how do you get people to give themselves permission to actually engage in, in finding joy, fun and play in their lives? Yeah, that's a great question too. I think part of what I do in the groups is that it, you, it normalizes it, you know, so that people can see, oh, I'm not the only one feeling a little uncomfortable with this. I'm not the only one struggling with, you know, why I should do this. And and then I try to bring in a lot of joy and playfulness into the group. And, and like you said, that's contagious. And so I start to see more laughter and they're kind of joking and kidding around with each other. And, you know, so you surround yourself with those kinds of people. And I think it really does build that that joy and that feeling. So you're the fun friend. I'm the fun friend. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I think Love it's also it. really helpful. Um, I don't know if you've seen, um, uh, you, you're really seeing, asking, how is that serving you? Those things that are keeping you in place, that are keeping you from moving and having play. Um, it's internal family systems. I don't know if you've seen that of just how that self-critic is trying to help you, even if it's not. How that workaholic is trying to help you. It's trying to keep things in place. And it's also, it's, it's trauma, right? The trauma is there. When we start to play, we might remember we were playing, we were four years old and our mother came in and said, you need to clean your room now. And mm -hmm. so the trauma comes up and that part of that internal critic that's come in. So internal family systems is really a powerful way to help people through that. So we actually, we're, we're out of time. If you have a quick comment, Wendy, when, when actually, why don't you let people know, where can we find you? Because I know you've, you've got a wealth of information to share. Yes. Okay. Yes. You can find me at heyboomer, H-E-Y boomer.biz. Okay. Or you can email me at wendy at heyboomer.biz. All right. It's heyboomer.biz. And I know you're also at uh, on Instagram as well at, at heyboomer. And Mike, the book is- Hey Boomer Podcast. Hey Bob, the podcast. Instagram. And Mike, the name of the book, again, so people can grab it. Uh, the Fun Habit. It's available <laughs> anywhere you enjoy purchasing books. Awesome. It is a fun book. And go out there and have some fun. Thank you all so much for listening. If you've enjoyed today's show, please leave me a review. I would love to know what you think about it. If you want to reach out to me, just go to the midlifewhisper.com. That's the midlifewhisper.com and check out my new Rock Your Midlife community. We'll catch you next week. Thanks so much for being here. Midlife can be challenging. You may be sandwiched between growing kids and aging parents, dealing with menopause or a health issue and trying to find work-life balance. Or maybe your life looks good on the outside, but inside you're feeling stuck and wondering how to get your confidence, energy, and joy back. Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I hear you and I've got you. Think of me as the one-stop shop for all your midlife needs. I'm a psychologist, registered dietitian, nutritionist, board-certified health and wellness coach, and mindful self-compassion teacher. I'm also an author and podcast host with over 30 years of experience empowering midlife women. I provide inspiration and wisdom to help you transform your health, your mindset, your relationships, and your life so you can rock midlife.